on Sundays when I usually prepare to pray, I usually base it from a psalm. Uh, but today I wanted to use a prayer that we used at our table for Thanksgiving this year. And uh, I know some families are still feasting, but we're going into a season of feasting. And sometimes it's helpful for somebody, I think, to uh, help us pray in a new way. I think one of, that's one of the reasons I use Scripture to help me prepare prayers. But today I wanted to use this, um, this prayer for a season of feasting with friends. Let's pray. Father, to gather joyfully is indeed a serious affair. For feasting and all enjoyments gratefully taken are at their heart acts of war. In celebrating these feasts, we declare that evil and death, suffering and loss, sorrow and tears will not have the final word. But the joy of fellowship and the welcome and comfort of friends, new and old, and the celebration of those ble these blessings of food and drink and conversation and laughter are the true evidences of things eternal and are the first fruits of that great glad joy that is to come and that will be unending. So let our feasts th these days be joined to those sure victories secured by Christ. Let it be to us now a delight and a glad foretaste of His eternal kingdom. Bless us, O Lord, in these feasts. Bless us, O Lord, as we linger over our cups and over our tables laden with good things, as we relish the delights of varied texture and flavor of aromas and savory spices, of dishes prepared as acts of love and blessing, of sweet delights made sweeter by the communion of saints. May our shared meals and our pleasure in them bear witness against the artifice and deceptions of the prince of the darkness that would blind this world to hope. May it strike at the root of the lie that would drain life of meaning and the world of joy and, and suffering of redemption. May this, these our feasts fall like a great hammer blow against that brittle night, shattering the gloom, reawakening our hearts, stirring our imaginations, focusing our vision on the kingdom of heaven that is to come, on the kingdom that is promised, on the kingdom that is already indeed among us. For the resurrection of all good things has already joyfully begun. May our feasts be an echo of that great supper of the Lamb, a foreshadowing of the great celebration that awaits the children of God. Where two or more of us are gathered, O Lord, there you have promised to be. And so at our feast, here we are. And so here are you among us. Take joy, O King, in our feasts. Take joy, our King. Father, as we, we do, we've started a season of feasting and we're continuing into a season of feasting. I pray that this season would, would not blind us, but instead would awaken in us a desire to worship the baby king who is now the king of all of the world and the king of our redemption. God, we pray for those in our church, even this morning, battling sickness, battling cancer, battling despair. Some of those at the bedside of loved ones once again. God, we pray your great comfort on them this morning. We pray that your presence would be with them. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the hard questions I think Christianity has to answer is, why obey if God forgives? That's one of the, it's a question you may have heard, or imagine that somebody, a friend of yours, a coworker, says, if your God forgives the way that you say that he forgives, won't he just forgive anything that I do? Like, what, why do I even need to try? That's one of the, the hard questions. And I want you to imagine, 
I want you to imagine what is the answer that you would give to them in that situation. They say something that's true. God is a forgiving God. And they say, what do we... What, why should I obey? Why should I change how I'm living? I've got time. God will just forgive me if I... It could be just somebody says that theoretical, theoretically. Or it could be somebody is hurting you, sinning against you, and they go like, so... Who cares? God forgives. And so I, I don't need to change. I don't need to do anything. That's, I think, one of the hard questions that Christianity has to answer. And it, it follows on the heels where last week we were exploring what the fake Christianity says. You can please God on your own. We can call that legalism. If you just try harder and put your confidence in how much you obey... God will love you. We, we saw last week that the Bible calls here in Philippians is fake Christianity. But it leads to this other question that I'm asking today. Why obey if God forgives? Maybe like if you could imagine life as a road and on one side is this ditch that, we call, that I called fake Christianity, legalism that says God will love you because of what you've done. And somebody goes, what's going to keep me? Is this other ditch a problem? What, what's going to keep me out of the ditch of just do whatever you want because God doesn't care, because God forgives? In this letter that Paul writes to family, this, this letter he writes to a church that he loves where he's saying, hey, there is a danger coming of fake Christianity. He doesn't leave them hanging or guessing, but it says, oh, but in case you misunderstand, I want to tell you. So today we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16, where Paul has said, hey, don't go in that road where you're confident because of how much you've obeyed. And then he gives a warning from the ditch on the other side. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let's pray. God, as we open your word here, help us to know what it means to head for maturity. What it means for us to have the same goal for us that you do. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in, in the beginning in verse 12, Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this. That word this is doing a lot of work here. He says, not that I have attained all of this. Leaves us going, okay, what are you talking about? What is this that you're referring to? Paul has just been saying, avoid, you know, abandon, like stay away from fake Christianity. He says, and so he's called them in the previous verses, verses 1 to 11, to, uh, go in, to, be, uh, to go to Christ for everything. 
including righteousness, and put no confidence in the flesh. And he finished in verses 10 and 11 and said, not only is my confidence in Jesus, I want my whole life to be conformed to Jesus. That's how much I want to put it all in on Jesus. And so when Paul says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this, he means not that I'm already fully like Jesus. Because what Paul is calling the believers to is he is calling them, he's calling you and I, to pursue Jesus' goal with Jesus' strength. Verse 12, he starts with, not I've already obtained all of this. this. All of this is an entire life where my confidence and my character and my experience have been conformed to Jesus. And so he's saying, I, my, like, your goal should be to be conformed to Jesus because that's what Jesus' goal. What I want to show you here is I want to show you three ways that we pursue Jesus' goal for our lives. Three ways to pursue Jesus' goal for your life. Verses 12 and then again in verse 15, Paul calls to you and I and says, and calls us to define the goal. Define the goal for our life. I've already shown you in, at the beginning of verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Verse 15, he says, all of them who are mature should take such a view of things. He says, this is the view that a mature Christian should have is that the goal is this, arrive, maybe your, your translation instead of goal says uh, uh, perfection. Uh, have already been made perfect or mature. He says, uh, all of it, not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. Paul has made his goal to match Jesus' goal. To be, in verses 10 and 11, we've already seen, is his entire life to match Jesus. Paul has said, fake Christianity says, like our confidence should be in ourselves. But Paul just says, I put my confidence so much in Jesus that I want everything in my life to match him. I want everything in my life to look like he looks. And so that maturity and that perfect uh, goal that Paul has for his life and that he calls for you and I to have in our lives is that we want to match Jesus in every area. We have to be clear about what the goal is because when somebody says, well, why should I obey if God forgives? That's, the, that's missed the point. The goal of my life is that I would be found in Christ and that my confidence would be found in him and that everything in my life would look like he likes that, or what he looks like. So that the goal is a life that is mature and perfect because it, it's a life that is conformed and made confident and wrapped up in Christ. The goal of the Christian life, you see, is not simply to go to heaven and not simply to be forgiven, but a life that is conformed to the image of Christ. That is the goal that Paul says, like not that I've already arrived. Paul already knows he has the confidence of heaven. Paul already knows that he has the confidence that his sins are forgiven. But Paul says, the the goal of my life is that I would be found in Christ, conformed to his image. So that leaves the question for you and I, is that your goal? Is that your goal for your life? Whether you're young and you're thinking about, hey, what are my dreams for life? What job am I going to have? What school am I going to go to? What hobbies am I going to have? Is it your goal to be conformed to Christ? But maybe you're not old, maybe, or I'm sorry, maybe you're not young, but maybe your career is behind you and you're, you're, you go, well, goals, I don't have career goals anymore. I'm retired. I, I'm trying to do this hobby or that hobby. I'm trying to live out my days. I'm trying, like, the, is your goal for your retirement to be conformed to Christ in every area of your character? 
That is the goal that God has for his people. So the question isn't, why should I obey if God forgives? The question becomes, God has called me to look like Jesus in every area of my character, in every area of my experience, in my suffering, in all of these ways, God's goal for me is that I look like Christ. And so Paul says that, that this is the goal that I have for my, this is maturity, uh, verse 12, he says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul, Paul is saying like, that this, I have the same goal for my life that Jesus has for my life. We're going to get a little bit to what, how Paul does it. But first, Paul is like, my goal matches Jesus' goal. That is my goal for my life. A number of years ago, I had a client, and I found out later, he was retired, and he was kind of like, oh, what do I do with my time? And he, we were working together for a while, and then I found out that he had been a vice president at State Farm. And so you're, you're familiar, a large company, famous company, commercials everywhere. And we worked together for a number of months, heard stories about this and that, and heard stories about um, what it was like to work in a major office building in the 1950s and 60s. He was like, we used to smoke at our desk. And he was telling me about all the different things that, uh, that it was like to work in this, ma- this major company back in the day. And, but one day he kind of, he, was, uh, he, he told me what was so jarring for him about retiring. I mean, he'd been important. Being a vice president in a major company was a big deal. He said, they throw a party. And then you leave the building. And the next week, they've moved on. Like, he was like, it's, they like move on. And then you have to find out, what do I do with my life? What am I, how am I going to spend my time? I was important. They cared about me. They depended on me. And I just remember his, his, his him saying, they move on. And I, I was thinking of like, this guy, super nice guy. I liked him a lot. It was fun to hear his stories. Fun to work with him. For, but to hear somebody be like, like, the whole goal of my life, I got it. And then they moved on. This passage says, don't let the goal of your life be something so fleeting that everybody else, you get it, and then, when it's take, then it gets taken away. This, the, the, Paul is saying, believers, make the goal of your life be something other than the world around you has made it. Let the goal of your life to be everything in your life, your character, the way that you react to people, the priorities that you have, the way that you deal with temptation, the way that you deal with your weaknesses, and the way that you deal with your gift. Let all of those things be conformed to Christ. Let every moment of your life be conformed to Christ so that Christianity isn't, not, isn't simply avoiding some sins and getting to heaven when we die, but God when I face suffering, I want to do it like Jesus. God, God, I want the goal of my life to not simply get ahead, become a vice president in a company, have, uh, have my own business and have it do well. I don't want to just have uh, retirement security. God I, want the, 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 God, I want the goal of my life to be to be conformed to Christ. Not to simply raise children not to simply be a good mom or grandmother, not to simply be a good aunt, a good brother, a good nephew, whatever like a relationship is important to you, not to simply be good at those things, but God, in that, can I be conformed to Christ too? Don't let your goal for your life be something lower than Jesus' goal for your life. 
God wants all of our lives. And Paul is saying that he, God is going to use all of it to conform us. It, we, and he's calling us to set our eyes and our goal in the same place that Jesus sets it, which is conforming our lives to Christ. The second way we pursue Jesus' goal for our life is go all out in the strength that Jesus provides. Look at verses 12 and 14, 12 to 14. So he's already said, not, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. At the beginning of these verses, in verse 12 to 14, uses a similar word several times. Depending on the translation, they're trying to echo this. But he's like, not that I've already taken hold of it, you know, not, not, but he's, he keeps saying, take hold, take hold, take hold, take hold. But he's, he's like, not that I already have obtained, same word, this whole, not that I've already uh, taken hold of it, I've already arrived at my goal, but notice what he says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He's repeating this word, not that I can grab it on my own, but Jesus has grabbed me for that same goal. He is, he is saying that this, he's calling us, yes, to make it our goal to be conformed to Christ. But he's saying, but don't do it in your own strength. Do it in the strength that Jesus provides. You're thinking about, I want to take hold of what Christ has for me. I want to take hold of the goal of maturity and being conformed to Christ. And the good news is he's saying, strain with everything in you, knowing Jesus has already done the taking hold. He says, we say, God, I want to be conformed to you. I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, and I've already taken hold of you. So do that in the strength that I provide. Verse 14, he echoes it again. I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He is saying God is the one who has taken the initiative and not said, well, hey, I've got a few resources and some tips and tricks to help you along the way. It's that I'm up here reaching down and giving you the strength that you need to do this. This, is a, this passage is not like 50-50, Jesus helps and I help. It's that Jesus gives 100% and we give 100% with the strength that he's already given us. Reminding us that our efforts to be conformed to Christ, to love and to obey God, is not done in, with confidence that we can do it. It's that God loved me in Christ and has given me his Holy Spirit and the strength to do what he has called me to do in obedience. So you, maybe you're here and you think of all of the ways that as a daughter, a mother, a wife, a sister, you have failed. Maybe there's a list in your head of all of the, the conversations you haven't had, that the apologies you've not made, the things you've not done that you know you should have done, the disappointments that you've been. This passage says don't try to be better in your own strength. Do it in the strength that Jesus provides. Knowing that you're trying to take hold of somebody that's already taken hold of you. He's already given you everything that you need. It's like, it reminds me, of when it comes to Mother's Day or Father's Day or a birthday, and kids get so excited to give a gift, but they don't have the money to buy the gift anyway. Like, 
Dad's got to open his wallet and give, can I, Dad, can I have some money so I can buy you a Father's Day gift? And we don't go, you know what, that gift doesn't mean anything because I paid for it. Or maybe you do that. I don't do that. Like, hey, they're excited to give a gift. They don't have the money to do it on their own. And so I'll be glad to give you whatever you need to give a gift to tell me that you love me. That's what's happening here is he says, we go, God, I want to love you with everything. Can you give me the strength to do that? And he says, gladly, already done. We say, God, I do not love you as I ought. God, can you help me love you more? And he says, yes, what do you need to help you do that? I've already done it. I've called you. I've taken hold of you. I am pouring out my strength. I've given you the Holy Spirit to live inside you. It's not your strength anyway. And so go all out in the strength that Jesus provides. I, uh, I'm, this is ultimately the point that the entire Bible is trying to lead God's people to. If we read the Old Testament on its, and we read each passage individually, we, go, we put a thumbs up or a thumbs down on a different character. We go, Abraham, good. And then we go, well, actually, when he had Ishmael, no, bad. Why couldn't he just get that right? We get to Saul and we go, Saul started out so well. Saul's a bad guy. He just couldn't get it together. We don't want to be like Saul. If we read every story individually, we go, Jonah's bad. Daniel's good. And we start putting everybody in all of these different categories. But when we put the whole Bible together, we end up finding all of these stories are leading to one place where Israel in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel say, we cannot love and obey God the way we ought to. Who can help us? All of these stories don't stand on their own. It's leading us to a point where Moses couldn't do it. Not only that, Abraham couldn't do it on his own. And Moses couldn't do it on his own. And David couldn't do it on his own. Israel could not do it on their own. And so Jeremiah chapter 31 and then Ezekiel are the ones that come in and say, God promises to give you a new heart and a new mind so that you can do what you've never done before. And here, Paul is reminding us, we put our confidence in Christ and then we say, God, we want our whole lives to be conformed to you. Can you give us the strength to do that? God, can you give us the heart in Jeremiah 31, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone so that we can love you from our whole heart? God, can, we, can you give us a new mind and a new spirit so that we can love you with all of our mind and with all of our soul? And Jesus says, yes, yes, I will do that. You can have it. You can have all of it. And so when somebody comes and says, How, why, why would I obey if God forgives? He says, that actually the story is the God of the universe who loved me, and called me to himself, and now gives me everything I need to love him the way that he deserves. To love him in a way that's for my good so that I'm no longer a slave to my sin. So that I'm no longer bound to the things that I used to be bound to. And so I go all out knowing it's all God's anyway. It's all his strength anyway. It's all his record anyway. The third way this passage calls us to pursue Jesus' goal for our lives is to hold tightly to what you already have. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 16, I'm sorry. So he's already said in verse 15, all of us then who are mature, verse 16, he says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. I think he's echoing that same idea earlier, that whole take hold. I'm trying to, not that I've already taken hold of it, but Jesus has taken hold of me. Here in verse 16, he calls us to hold tightly to what we already have. It's a really simple sentence. Nothing really fancy about it. He says, if you already have it, stay there. If you already have it, stay there. Don't go backwards. Uh, There's a sense in which it's like, 
like calling us to live in harmony with, to live in line with the thing that God has already given to us. Notice, it is something that is given to us first. And he says, so then God has called us to live in line with that, to belong to that, to match that with our whole lives. And so this passage says that when it comes to righteousness, if you're in Christ, it's already yours. And so live in line with that. If you think of all of the ways that you are guilty this week, harsh words that you said that you shouldn't have said, bitterness that you've not let go of, anger that you've not repented for, this passage says that if you are in Christ, it is already yours, and so grab hold of it and take it. Live in line with that. Walk in line with that. So this passage calls you to live as somebody who's already loved, not somebody who might be loved if you obey enough. This passage says, why don't you live in line with the purity that God has already given you? The hard part, I think, for, you, for Christians becomes saying, oh, wait, you mean if I'm in Christ, purity's mine? Oh, you, you mean if, if I'm in Christ, righteousness is mine? You mean if I'm in Christ, patience is mine? If, if I'm in Christ, freedom is mine? Paul Chitwood was a pastor, and now he's a missions leader, tells the story of uh, when he was adopting his daughter. They took her in foster care first, and then they, they adopted her. And in the first days that they had her with them, she every, every night before bed would kind of frantically be asking, what are we eating tomorrow, and will we have food? Because the home she'd come out of, food they didn't always have food. And uh, so it, it was, it's a, a major adjustment for, for her to live in a house where Cheerios the next morning weren't going to be a challenge. And so he tells, the, or he and his wife tell the story that, we, that in the first weeks that they had her, they couldn't give her enough words to say, it's going to be okay, we will have food for you tomorrow. It wouldn't pass well enough for her. And so they had to start getting a box of Cheerios and pouring a bowl of cereal and putting it beside the head of her bed just so she knows tomorrow there will be food. Tomorrow there will be food. Eventually living in their home, she, she came and it became normal to go, okay, we're going to have food now. This is normal in our home. And, but there at first, when everything's new, she had to be reminded day after day, it's already yours. It's already here. Just when you wake up, look over and see it. I'm reminded from this passage where I think Paul is calling to believers who are tempted to think, God, you must not love me because of X, Y, or Z sin this week. God, you must not love me because I didn't do X, Y, and Z. And God comes and pours out his love in a bowl next to our beds and says, it's already here. The righteousness you need tomorrow, it's here. The forgiveness that you're going to need tomorrow, it's right here. The, the, the hope that you need for tomorrow, it's right here. The perfect record of Christ, it's right here. The patience that you need, the purity that you need, the freedom that you need, it's right here. So, can you go to sleep knowing that? Can you begin to wake up in the morning and go, oh, my Father has provided everything that I need for life and godliness. So then when somebody says, How, why should I obey if God has already forgiven me? And we go, why in the world would you think like this? The Father says, hey, here is all of the love and forgiveness and purity and righteousness and hope and freedom that you need. 
then we go, I want to live in line with that. I don't want to let that go and forget about it and go back to my old ways. God, I want to live in the freedom that you have provided for me. God, like this child that needs to be reminded this home is different, God, can you remind me that being in this home, in your family, is different? God, remind me so that I can hold fast to that, the fact that I already have it and I stop hoping I can earn it. So this passage calls you and I to live in line with what we already have, to hold it fast, to grab onto it, to pursue it with everything that we have because God's goal for us and God's strength for us is that we be conformed to the image of Christ. So this passage calls to you and I and call us to pursue Jesus' goal with Jesus' strength. But maybe you're like me and you reach this point and you go, this week was hard. This week was just hard. I just, I feel my own brokenness. I feel my own inability. I feel my own sin. I wanted to do better and yet here I am again. You say, I haven't gone all out. I haven't held fast. I have not lived in line with the gospel. Where is the hope for me today? This passage is pointing us to Christ away from ourselves that says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus is the one who died to conform you and I to himself, not who just calls us to do it on our own. Jesus is the one who was forsaken for you so that you can go forward in all of the strength that God provides. Jesus is the one who held tight to his Father even when his Father had forsaken him so that he could guarantee for you the forgiveness that you need, the Holy Spirit's power on the inside that you need so that you can pursue Jesus' goal with Jesus' strength because you have Jesus' record, not your own. And so if you're here today and you're in Christ, hear from this passage that Jesus' goal is already accomplished. Jesus' strength is already yours. And he calls you to pursue his goal with his record and with his strength. If you're here today and you say, I don't know what it means to be in Christ, or I have never actually repented of my sin and trusted in Jesus, I have tried in my own strength. Maybe you've been a church member. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you've done all of the things on the outside, but you know on the inside you have been pursuing your goal with your strength. Let today be the day that you turn away from sin and trust in Jesus only to save you so that Jesus' goal is accomplished with his record and with his strength in your life. If you have questions about that, come and grab me at the end of the service. Don't let a day go past where you just go, oh, I'll get to it later. So this passage calls to you and I to pursue Jesus' goal with Jesus' strength. I want you to imagine what changes regarding your greatest temptation. If you were to pursue Jesus' goal in that area with Jesus' strength. If you're, I want you to imagine what changes when you face whatever that, whatever that sin is that you keep going back to. You've never been set free. I want you to imagine what changes if you go towards that, if you deal with that sin with Jesus' record and Jesus' strength. Knowing that God's, God's grace isn't in question, but that you have 
Jesus, who is working and calling and strengthening you, conforming you to himself. And he's giving you his strength to do that. I want you to imagine what changes in our church when it's not a question of why should we obey if God forgives, but our church is gripped by the reality that he wants to conform Manchester Baptist Church, the pastor, the deacons, Sunday school teachers, members, guests. He wants Manchester and Scott County and Greene County and Morgan County to be conformed to the image of Jesus so that a watching world looks and sees what freedom looks like. I want you to imagine what what changes in a community when that is the reality of our church. Our goal is Jesus' goal and our strength is Jesus' strength. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you don't wait until we get things right to take hold of us but you take hold of us first. You give us your strength first. You provide for us day after day after day, and you call us to look over and grab hold of what you have already done in our lives. God, I pray that that would be the reality in my own life. I pray that that would be the reality in our church. I pray that that would be the reality in our community is people who have not just heard religious talk, but see and experience and embrace the work of God in us. In Jesus' name, amen.